0: mm <laughs> That's chirpybirdinc.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. My name is Joy Rios, and today I'm talking with Alana McGolrick, who's the chief nursing officer at Paragen Perinatal Decision Support Systems. Her work is focused on reducing preventable maternal and newborn deaths using technology and AI to support labor and delivery activities. In our conversation, she shares how the Perigen Vigilance product removes bias that a doctor or nurse might have when looking at the mom's or the fetal heartbeat by providing objective assessments. Really great stuff. Let's take a listen. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. McGulrick. I'm really excited to get to know you and your place in the healthcare system a little bit better today. i like to... Kind of premise by saying healthcare is complicated, and it kind of doesn't matter how much you know or how much you've learned. There's always more to know and more to learn. That's one of the beauties about working in this industry. We liken it a lot to like a three thousand or a ten thousand piece puzzle that we're all trying to like figure out. Can you know we each hold a piece, and is there a way that we can make the connections and hopefully get farther faster in what our long term goals are? So if you would please take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners and let us know know, a little bit more about you and your place in the healthcare
1: ecosystem. My name is Alana McGulrick. I'm an RN. I've been in labor and delivery in the space of perinatal for a long time, so approximately 25 years. I did stay in the service line that I enjoy. Some people laugh because I never wanted to do any other kind of nursing. So I've been fortunate enough in my career to have spent... That time, you know, growing my career pathway in this uh, special population. I currently work as the chief nursing officer at Perigen. We have a artificially intelligent powered early warning system that's applied to the laboring patient that helps read the fetal heart events, trends, uterine activity, your progress in labor and also helps to graph and trend the maternal vital signs and assists the clinicians at the bedside with decision making with relation to the entire clinical picture of the patient.
0: Holy cow, so a really important piece. (laughs) like really good things happening yeah yeah so that's a big conversation there is a big conversation going on around like maternal and mortality rates in the U.S. and certain like demographics and and people in our country can you speak to that you might be a little bit more well-informed and have your finger on the pulse of like what people should know if they are not already aware and maybe also what you're you guys are doing, like, what is your place in that? Are you helping to support, you know, making those outcomes better?
1: So unfortunately, despite the fact that we have access to some sophisticated and high level medical care here in the United States, we have a national, nationally rising maternal morbidity and mortality rate, which would be shocking to some nations because you would think that in the United States, that our patients would not be dying during childbirth. And we're finding that 50% of those outcomes are actually preventable. So our moms and our babies should not be suffering or outcome or having some sort of severe injury related to the, the childbirth process. In the past, we actually treated childbirth and pregnancy in general as a wellness state. And unfortunately, we've had to shift to more of an illness state and look at those specific issues that are complicating our pregnancies these days. So we have, you know, one is advanced maternal age. Our moms are waiting a little bit longer to start their families, beginning their careers and just taking some time to themselves prior to planning to have children. So that is the first thing that changed. Second is we're seeing access to perinatal care is really lacking. So, and that can be almost specifically related to their demographics. So we are seeing that moms of African-American descent are three to four times more likely to suffer an obstetrical hemorrhage, which is a severe complication of childbirth. We're also seeing that services in rural areas are being reduced to the point where we don't have access to a hospital even in those rural areas. And so, you know, in some cases, people are traveling 100 miles to receive any type of care outside of a perinatal space. We're also seeing that our moms are much sicker. So, they have comorbidities associated with their pregnancies and diabetes, obesity. Cardiovascular disease, hypertension, those things are leading the way. So that complicates a patient's pregnant picture to the point where the not just the mom is impacted, but also the baby. So I guess I like my
0: understanding is when we we're talking about like who is the most affected. I would like to think that on the other side of that is like if we have that picture, if we are have an understanding of who is the most affected. Can healthcare providers or people that are working, you know, working with those particular populations, like kind of adjust their care so that they're actually addressing them, you know, with more attention or giving them more of what could be needed? I don't it's not an easy answer. And I don't even know exactly what the question is. But ultimately, it's like, what can we do to, to change this? Because like I just keep hearing it on all sides that. This, it's kind of unacceptable. Like, where do we go from here?
1: I think our, our clinicians, our, our physicians who are providing parental care during the antenatal stage, you know, they are trying. They do the recommendations on nutrition and, you know, how to make sure that they're caring for their, their medical history, you know, in addition to their current pregnancy and the developing fetus. But unfortunately, some of our solutions are go out and take a walk. Well, they may not have access to a safe space to do that walk. You know, there isn't a a beautiful park that's nearby. We're also making the assumption that they're coming in for care. Mm -hmm. You know, not everybody has access to appropriate care or thinks that it's important. So, you know, where we see an average of 14 visits during the, the perinatal stage... Some may not be having maybe four, maybe six. Okay. So, so we may not see them early enough. So I think they are trying to take steps to address these situations and really take a, a team approach to pregnancy versus you know, one physician caring for one patient. And they are seeing you know, multiple levels in trying to get the community involved so that they can have a healthier and safer delivery for mom and babe. The other thing is that everything is very subjective. Right. So clinician, I mean, we're just, Mm -hmm. we're just people. So we're, we're, you know, that's just part of our, our genetic makeup. So for us specifically at Perigen, we've tried to remove that subjectivity and put something in place that was objective to say, I'm always scanning your patient with an objective eye to see if there's anything wrong and really alert you to any worsening conditions and, and trying to apply that throughout that perinatal stage to assist the, the bedside and, and the delivering providers with with some of that decision-making so that it can make, you know, that sound judgment based on some objective data.
0: Okay, so can I ask lay layperson questions? Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, okay, if, some, if there's a pregnant patient who is coming into contact with Perigen's product or service, is it something that happens over a period of time or is it through an episode of care like while they're giving birth?
1: Yes. So they would have to be, I like how you put it, episodic. So yes, it would be during an episode of care. And currently our application is really for the 36 week and above fetus for the fetal heart and for the uterine activity. But for maternal vital signs, we can trend from the beginning to show that there's an increase or a decrease. Naturally, women, when they get pregnant, they'll have an increase in their blood pressure. And it's just accommodating the developing fetus. We have 50% more blood volume. So our body needs to take that time to get used to the physiological changes. So you'll see these fluctuations, but by the second trimester, things should go back to normal. Okay. And one of the things with pregnancy, which, you know, like I said, most have approached it with wellness. Now we've approaching it with an illness is because pregnancy actually identifies or uncovers any physiological weakness that the maternal patient may have. Because the fetus, you know definitely feeds off of whatever maternal resources they have. I call it a supply chain. So it, it has to feed off of that supply chain. And if mom's supply chain with, her oxygen delivery, if she has enough hemoglobin in her blood, you know, the fetus will either succeed or suffer based on what her supply chain can provide. So trending those vital signs early is, is very important. So we have a good eye on what's coming, you know, for the rest of the pregnancy. And so all of that
0: information is gathered in an office visit, right? It's not something that happens with them regularly at home that is like an ongoing check in their blood pressure. Is that
1: is that Correct. Surprising? Correct. Yeah. So it would have to be a hospital visit at this point. We typically do not use our product in the physician's office, but so and this may be new to some of the listeners, but in what happens in when patients come in for a a wellness check. Mm -hmm. We call them NSTs. So they want to see if the baby is responding appropriately in utero. They'll send them into the hospital and they'll come into our triage areas or labor and delivery evaluation unit. So then we put the monitors on the baby and we can start to track and trend the fetus's response or maybe mom's vital signs, whatever they've come in for their checks. So that's really when it starts to apply and become meaningful to the clinicians making those decisions.
0: And what are some of the decisions that are being made that are basically like, know, there's plenty of decisions to be made, but what are some of the ones that are, I don't know, people should know about that, you know, could have a change in their trajectory of their outcomes, right? Right.
1: Right. So, as these moms are are at least they're they're at a period. So, thirty six weeks. We're close to delivery at this point, but still considered, you know, preterm because we want the babies to get to thirty nine weeks. We don't want to uh, deliver any of those babies prior to thirty nine weeks because they say thirty nine weeks chubby cheeks. So, sure <laughs> we get there, but. If they're coming in prior to for those evaluation checks, it could, you know, mean that there is an imminent delivery that needs to occur, or if those moms need to be watched for any medical issues that they may have on board, because all of those ones that I mentioned earlier, like obesity, cardiovascular disease, diabetes in particular, and then of course, hypertension, they all impact how that fetus will grow. So if we see any changes with the baby, or if there's any issues going on with mom, and she's not tolerating labor anymore you know they need to make that decision whether baby's better inside or out And that is specific to what's coming on the strip. So the strip will tell us you know, how the baby's doing. It's a squiggly mark. I always laugh because we're just reading. That's how the baby tells us if he wants in or out. Really? And in our system, we'll tell you, oh, that's an acceleration, that's a deceleration. And decelerations are bad. So we want to make sure that the baby's tolerating those decelerations. So you want a squiggly mark. You want
0: it to be more squiggly than straight.
1: Yes, we would like to see more squiggly. That's exactly what it is. We want to see, like, I call it the scratchiness. You know, when you see new grasses growing, you know, it's up and down and up and down. That's exactly what we want to see on the strip because that tells us that the baby has an intact central nervous system and that he is well oxygenated at that time. Gotcha.
0: Okay, so sitting from where you sit and considering everything that's in your brain and what you know, what do you wish people knew? Like if you could just like impart them with some knowledge or, you know, either factoids or just like things that might be, you know, empowering to them, what would help you and your job be easier if they knew X, Y, or Z piece of information.
1: I do like this split personality thing when as a labor nurse, you know, someone who's been clinical for so long, I want my moms to listen to their bodies. They're the first ones. They know their babies. They know if that baby's not kicking as much or moving as much. They know their sleep and wake cycles. And they also know when they're not feeling well. So I've been a firm believer. I've taught everyone that I've ever had the opportunity to be a preceptor for that you trust your mom. If she tells you something's not right, something's not right. And you have to listen to her because physiologically she's experiencing it and we're just taking in that data. Uh-huh. And then as someone who's now, you know, had the wonderful opportunity to work in a space with artificial intelligence and and the IT world, which some people teased me because I was very clinical, <laughs> And then I came over to this side and went, wow, we can do this. Like It's like seeing inside the uterus, which I do a national webinar series called the Invisible Patient Series because you can't see the baby. Uh And so for me, it was always, we have two patients. We don't just have one and one is invisible. And so for me, the AI technology gave me the opportunity to actually have that See, okay, this baby is telling me what I'm seeing. I can take that information and so and make really sound clinical decisions and not feel like I'm just going on maybe, I don't know for sure, you know, because we are the eyes for the clinic, the delivering clinician. So we have to call them and say, I need you here now. And now we can say, I need you here now because and take a look at this. So, I think in both those worlds, that's probably what I'd say.
0: Okay. Now, what are some of the things that you teach? Cuz you're doing it sounds like you've been really busy with speaking engagements and all kinds of stuff. What is your rotation? Like what are the things that you're speaking on? I'm sure that I'm not hitting on them, so I want to like give you the opportunity
1: to tell tell me. So, my first passion is fetal monitoring. So, I, you know, I'm a self-professed geek. I love everything about the physiology that comes along with a developing fetus. So my team would probably be laughing right now saying, yes, every day we get some sort of like blurb on fetal um, heart rate. Um, So that's what I've been able to do here at um, Perigen. We've been offering the Invisible Patient Series almost on a four-week basis. I do a complicated topic that involves the maternal and fetal response to that complication. We provide it free. To anyone that wants to join, we've had all the way from Canada, Hawaii, right across the United States joining in on those webinars. And we do a strip review. So, in my world, doing a strip review is is a lot of fun because you get to see the fetal heart and how it's responding to, like, an abruption or obstetrical hemorrhage, or even just an easy diabetic patient who's in diabetic ketoacidosis. So, it's really nice for us to go through those complicated cases because we don't always see them in your clinical practice. You just may not ever have one. So it's nice to see that.
0: So those are webinars aimed at providers more so than patients. Is that accurate?
1: Yes. So these are, yeah, our target audience is the RN, the MD that are at the bedside, clinically practicing, or just in the space, you know, that work in OB. And uh, so they, they are pretty clinical in nature. I, I think we'd probably scare some patients. If they <laughs> saw that, but they'd be well-informed. <laughs> right, yeah.
0: <laughs> Can we maybe take away some of their fear factor if there happened to be any complications?
1: With right, one. yes. My marketing manager was pregnant this year. She just had her baby um, right before Thanksgiving. And so she was, you know, well-versed in a lot of complications. I mean, so to the point where she's like, I'm not scared anymore. She goes, you guys know what you're doing. <laughs>
0: Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. That's great actually. Well, so did you always know that you knew that this is what you wanted to do to a degree? You knew that you wanted to work, you know, in the OB space or like maternal area. Like did you know when you were 10 that this was where you're like, I want to work in healthcare and I wanna help with babies and moms? No. I
1: don't have a nice story like most nurses are like, oh, I put band-aids on my teddy bear. No. No. I just, you know, when I was a senior in high school and they said, you need to apply to university, I went through the list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just check nursing and that's... Really? You did an eeny, meeny, miny, Mo did you an did. Adventure? That is hilarious. I knew I didn't <laughs> want to be a school teacher. Okay. So that was eliminated and I thought... If so I went into nursing, I would have a job when I came out. And so
0: It's everywhere. It's obviously yeah. something you can do anywhere and wherever you are in the world or the country. And it's definitely right. something that's needed no matter what. Like the need's not going away.
1: <laughs> right. So it, it parlayed into a great career. I, I was very fortunate. And then so then
0: how did you go in from nursing to the tech side? That must have been kind of interesting too, where a lot of people say like, oh, I was assigned as a super user for a particular, you know, implementation or something. And that tends to be for foray. Was that similar for you? No,
1: I actually saw our senior VP of research, Dr. Hem- Emily Hamilton, do a presentation at A1, which is our national association for women's and children's. And I was blown away by the technology. I just said, this exists, and why don't doesn't everybody have this? I, to me, it's still mind-boggling that we're not in every hospital. That our okay. isn't bigger because I just sat there and went, "We need this at at my previous company," and so I pursued them to see if we could get the product. At the time, the products that we have at Perigen didn't exist, so you couldn't separate. What vigilance is, the early warning system, from their surveillance and documentation system. Because we, when we put the monitors on mom, we have to document what we see. And so we couldn't separate the two. So at the time, that wasn't going to be feasible from a cost perspective for my current that my former employer. And so the conversation ended there. And then they came back and said, Hey, are you interested in a job? Isn't that great? And Isn't I went, yeah, I absolutely yes. want to work for you. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even care. I did. We just, you know, I just said, "What do you got?" Let's you're like, "I love your mission. I love what
0: yes. you're doing. I want yes. to be part of this."
1: Yes, yes. And then, and then when I came over, I have the best team to work with, and I didn't know any of them. I just sort of came over and said, "Hi, I'm new." I love that. I love that about like just kind of
0: joining a place and being like, hey, we're going to be working together and what do we need to do to make it positive? Like, let's be friends.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they're fantastic. They're fantastic. So I just, I just really lucky actually because this was a passion for me and I work with people equally as passionate. Oh, that's great. Well, so if you could speak to any of the strengths from your team,
0: like what are the things that they do that make it, all worthwhile. So
1: I'm responsible for the clinical side of Perigen. So my team are all certified RNs. They have only worked in OB. So again, we shared that, but their, their strengths are, you know, which has been fantastic for me is that they work with our clients, like they're a patient. So sometimes we catch ourselves and call our clients patients, you know, my patient needs such and such. And so, you know, our motto has always been to give good care, no matter what, just give good care. Yeah, I think that it stems from them. I just follow their lead every day, and you know, every client receives better than they did the day before. And again, I'm so grateful to work with them because any of my weaknesses are certainly held up by by their strengths. So
0: that's great. Um, that's one concept that I really like about you know working with well with people and also serving people like I think that when I was younger you you know kind of have this belief that you have like clients or in your case like patients and there's like this side and then there's that side and then you realize that everybody you work with you have you can treat like a client or a patient I guess or you know and providing good service to your teammate just as much as you would to whoever's on the other side of that you know, the business model. And that, that really makes for a like more synergistic way of just yes. working together. Yeah. yeah. And
1: it's yeah. easy to get up and come back and do it all again the next day with them. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: what about advice? Do you have advice for either your 23-year-old self or somebody who was just, yet? Yeah, like, I think that's it. If you were looking back at your life, what do you think you needed to hear when you were 23 that could have helped you on your journey?
1: Be patient. I had very high expectations. And I think at some point, you know, the stress of that, of those expectations and that ambition that I had was driving me almost to the brink. I think I tried to do too much at that age. It's funny that you picked 23 because I felt that I had already achieved all my goals. And I hadn't even gone back to school yet to get my math master's or my doctorate. So I knew that those things were coming And at 23. I was like, I'm already a clinical instructor. I mean, this is this is just insane how okay. fast this is going. So I think patients probably would have been... And to appreciate every interaction that you have with your with your patients and with your colleagues that you're working the floor from, I still to this day recognize those mentors that took me under their wing as a baby labor nurse. They taught me everything. And I still see them to this day And I will forever be grateful for the patience that they showed me and the kindness that they had showed me at the time. So, and then I've been lucky to have multiple mentors along the way that really built my career. So yes, patience probably would have been the best thing.
0: And do you think that that also touches on like endurance or even like patience with yourself? here? Because you're like, I thought that I, I have this list of goals and I've achieved them all. So, okay, I'm done. Or do you feel like, that, do you think that that's more like there's opportunity that you didn't even know existed that you probably like as a 23 year old, how would you know to even look for something like it's, it's like the patience in kind of waiting for the right
1: timing, I guess, for things? Yeah, I felt I mean, I never would have expected that I would have ended up in IT. Right. So that was a surprise that I was so enamored and so interested and driven to get into the IT space. Now, I'm not technical. So I you have to understand enough about the product in order to teach how to use it. So okay. I don't want to misrepresent. I am not a technical person. But I always thought that my path was going to be in administration and I would be running a hospital. I mean, I, that's where I thought I was going. And then to have that detour and to take that risk, I left a position that I had been in for some time. And so to leave that comfort zone, enter into something brand new and have no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> so I had to be a beginner all over again. That was, that was hard for me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That is yeah. a hard thing to do, but I think that it's one thing of like trusting yourself of like, you know what, you have a skill set and expertise and knowledge in an area that even though, well, that can be applied to this new thing, right? Like I think right. that your perspective, especially from nurse, even though you may not be the developer or the coder, like creating the software, you know, behind the AI that's going on, you know, you can certainly inform either the patients or like just
1: like the experience of how it could go, yeah. you know? Of like, yeah, that's been very helpful. Thank goodness, yes. because that's what they hired me for. It right. wasn't because I could write, you know, a script. Right. <laughs> it was, does this script work, you know, right. in the clinical world? And and so it's been nice to use my years of experience that way. And, and then certainly being in an administrative role anyway, as the, as the CNO, it helps to have all that to fall back on administratively.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I guess I just, like, if there's anything burning on your chest that you feel that people should know, i like, I almost feel incapable of asking you the question, right? I'm just like, what is it? What's your message? I want to hear because I think what you do is so important that, you know, anything we can do to empower either our listeners or audience, I'd love to, to have that opportunity. So before we wrap up, is there anything that's like burning on your chest?
1: I think for, for me, I don't know if it's burning, but what I find when I'm out in the hospitals talking to you know our target audience, which is the RNs or the, the delivering clinicians, is that they give artificial intelligence and healthcare a chance. You know, Part of my presentation to them is you are using AI every day. I'm like, who has the smartwatches? Mm-hmm. You all have a smartphone. Do you use some sort of map application to get from a to, you know a to b? And everyone once that light bulb goes off, I think their acceptance of technology at the bedside you know starts to at least their mind starts to open, right? Yeah. Otherwise, I do feel like and it's just an old thing, but you know people don't like change. Yes. So you're coming in with something new saying this is this is really great and it's this newest technology and they just look at you and go, I don't want to change. Yeah. That would be my message is that just give it a chance. We have AI or we have technology at the bedside already. You just don't even realize you're using it. Right.
0: And I think to your point, just understanding of like how much farther, faster you could go by. Right. Letting it in. I mean, I experience my own reservations, not not about your guys' technology at all, but like when people talk about this metaverse stuff, I I'm pretty hesitant. <laughs> right. I don't want to be there actually. I yeah, appreciate I'm like, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm like the future, it's it's in that sense it'd be like, oh, if everything's gonna be like wired and connected through technology, like there I think it's fair for people to be scared to a degree around like, well, what does that mean for You know, our day to day life, but specifically in healthcare, and specifically when it comes to the health of, you know, a mom or or a baby, or, you know, just like creating better outcomes for people. Like, I feel like whatever tools and resources that we have at our disposal, we should
1: use. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. And I think that if we can reassure those that are caring for our patients, you know, who have hands on, that they won't be replaced, it's actually you know, the exact opposite that they do need a subject expert to make those decisions to appreciate the whole clinical picture, because in the end, it's just a calculator. It can't see what you can see. It can't touch what you can touch. Right. So I like to, that's also part of our message is that we still
0: need you. Right. So in addition to, yeah, I can see that, that being the fear of like, hey, if I implement this, it's there goes my job. What do you need me to do? Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, which isn't the case. is the exact opposite because, you know, although the machine is telling me what it sees, it doesn't know that the patient has diabetes. It doesn't know that the patient is, you know, six centimeters and feeling pressure. It has no idea. Yeah. It's only as good as counting the boxes and, and graphing what data is coming in. So it still requires that clinician at the bedside someone still needs to labor the patient and someone still needs to call the doctor when it's time to deliver. So it's not going to change. We need more nurses. Right. Yeah, right. we can put that out there. We need, we need more nurses. We're going to have a million nurses who retire by 2030. We're, we're just going to be crushed. And... Not only that, they have a
0: they have a pretty significant like mental burden. So if you're helping them to make decisions, and I know that like people everywhere are struggling from decision fatigue, and if your service and product is like set up to help them make decisions that are more accurate and, you know, faster and get them farther along their journey so that they can like save their brain space for something that's actually, you know, some, something that AI can't do to your point. Right.
1: Right. And it just reinforces what they're seeing. So the the naked eye can't see everything, you know, and we're infallible. So I just, for them, it's it's just another tool in the task. well, thank you for this.
0: I definitely feel like I am learning and that's just part of this whole, like I'm like, oh, there's so much I don't know. This is an area that I am, as you can tell, I'm just like, ooh, this is new stuff for me. I mean, on a personal note, like I've never been to a birth. I've never been in the, the room where that sort of stuff happens. Yeah. And so I'm just like, ooh, tell me everything because I feel really naive. So thank you for sharing. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. It's fun. <laughs> If people want to connect with you, follow you, work with you, where would you direct them to do so?
1: Uh, To parateng.com. All my information is listed there. So you can certainly access that. I am listed on LinkedIn. I am terrible at social media. I know in this day and age, I should be better. My marketing manager is much better than me. She does all my stuff. I just, uh, I just have not gotten into it. I know. <laughs> no, that's okay. It seems
0: like you're busy doing really important things. So I like yeah, your attention totally. where it's at. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you again for this time. And I will include all that information in the show notes. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle Hit Like a Girl Pod. Thanks again. See you soon. Hit Like a Girl Podcast is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. One thing I love about working with them is that they're mission driven which means that they're dedicated to featuring authoritative shows, hosts, and guests who take on the tough topics in healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. If you're looking for bingeable content related to the healthcare industry, they've got more than 8,000 episodes on demand waiting for you. From professional development, the patient voice, digital health, innovation and entrepreneurship, and of course, health IT, they've got you covered. So this is your official invitation to check them
1: out at healthpodcastnetwork.com.